from the Financial Times in London, I'm Ursula Milton and this is FT News. Stephen Hawking was a young scientist at Cambridge when he received a devastating diagnosis. He had motor neurone disease, an incurable illness that would eventually leave him paralysed and unable to speak unaided. He said later that his expectations had been reduced to zero at the age of 21 and that everything since had been a bonus. In fact, he went on to become a world-famous scientist who inspired generations to an interest in theoretical physics and the workings of the universe. His book, A Brief History of Time, published in 1988, became the best-selling science book ever written. He died this week, aged 76, and with me to discuss his life and career are Clive Cookson, the FT's science editor, who's joining us down the line from Tokyo, Ali Aram, the FT technology correspondent, and Catherine Matheson, chief executive of the British Science Association. I'm going to start with a question for you, Clive. Can you tell us a bit about what Stephen Hawking meant to you personally? Well, I'm a journalist, and journalists love celebrities. And Hawking was undoubtedly the greatest scientific celebrity of his age. In fact, surely the best-known physicist, not just in the UK, but also worldwide, since Albert Einstein. Yes, he was a brilliant scientist. We can talk about his research and thinking later. But I think above all, he did symbolize the ability of the human spirit to rise above severe physical disability. I mean, it is extraordinary that he lived 55 years with motor neurone disease, whereas life expectancy would have been a couple of years. I think that's a record for a motor neurone survival. And just seeing him at press briefings was really mesmerizing that he was motionless in his super high-tech wheelchair, just communicating with tiny little, almost invisible facial movements, which activated his characteristic synthesized voice. Thanks for that lovely picture that you painted there, Clive. How would you sum up his contribution to theoretical physics for a layperson, as far as that's possible? Gosh, it isn't really very possible, but I'd like to quote his overall stated aim, which was complete understanding of the universe, why it is as it is, and why it exists at all. And to try and achieve that understanding, he wanted to try and unite the two great mutually incompatible frameworks for the universe. One is quantum theory, and the other is Einstein's theory of relativity and gravity. And he thought the best place to look for this unity was in the most extreme conditions known in the universe, and those are black holes. Those are concentrations of mass so great that nothing can escape. And he thought, yes, black holes are where to look. And he spent the best part of his career examining black holes, and he made some very, very important discoveries there. Could you, again, in in layperson's terms, as, as far as possible, sum up the defining discovery that he made? Well, I think the defining discovery really was laying the ground to the general scientific acceptance that black holes do exist, because when he started work on this 40 years ago, a lot of people were doubtful about black holes. He showed that they weren't just some bizarre sci-fi fantasy, but they actually do play an important role in the way the universe develops. And in particular, he showed that they weren't totally black, something could get out. 
This radiation, known as Hawking radiation, happens because some particles, virtual particles, come into being at the very boundary of the black hole. One of the pair is sucked back into the black hole and the other escapes, if that's not too technical. That's what scientists would most remember him for. Thank you, Clive. That's a really lovely explanation and upsum. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, Catherine. How do you think that Stephen Hawking changed the public understanding of science? So I think one of the really interesting things about Stephen Hawking was that he seemed to the public to retain a very everyday sense of awe and wonder about the universe. I mean, I think for many of us, we have that sense of, you know, how big is the universe or what is it made of or when did it start? All of those curiosity-driven questions. And I think Stephen Hawking was able to show that he retained that sense of wonder. He spent 50 years working on the way that the physicists conceive of these questions. But I think based on particularly the tributes that people have been making in the last few days, people felt that he shared their curiosity about the universe, their very kind of human curiosity. And I think the other thing for which he's being remembered by members of the public is his connections to popular culture and his sense of humour. So his appearances on The Simpsons and things that feel like everyday experiences for so many of us. I think we're used to thinking of our research scientists, particularly theoretical physicists, as being somewhat removed from everyday life. And Stephen Hawking was absolutely part of it. He felt like one of us, I think. And people really seem to respect that. I've been following the tributes people are making on social media, and I was watching somebody earlier build a sand sculpture in India of Stephen Hawking and what he meant to him. So people have been making tributes in all sorts of ways, I think, because he represented all sorts of things to them. That's a lovely story and kind of illustrates his international fame and reach, doesn't it? I don't know how easy this is to do, but does he have a single most memorable public pronouncement? Or do you think, you know, there's too many to choose from? Well, I think there's a very long list to choose from. The thing that stands out for me is that when he published A Brief History of Time, I can't imagine that there was a long line of people who said, oh, that book's going to do really well, you know. (laughs) People are going to buy it and read it and talk about it with their friends and it's going to be a real hit. I'm not sure that any of us would have thought there was an amazingly big appetite for that sort of book. And yet, of course, it did sell amazingly well. And people talked about it with their friends and they talked about it in the pub and on the bus and all that sort of thing. I mean, not everybody finished it, maybe. Not everyone understood it, maybe. But they talked about it. It was a big thing. And I think that the public had a great respect for Stephen Hawking and his genius. But I think Stephen Hawking also had a great respect for the public. He thought that they would want to know about these discoveries and these exciting ideas about black holes and the stars of the universe. And in fact, they did want to know about it. So you could almost say he democratised theoretical physics, or I guess popularised it. I think he did both those things. I think he democratised it and he popularised it. I think there's a lot of people working in theoretical physics and in other scientific fields who would say that he was one of their inspirations, you know, reading A Brief History of Time or seeing his talks including as a result of his disability that, of course, didn't get in the way at all of him achieving the success that he had. I mean, we've had physics superstars before, notably Einstein, but I think Stephen Hawking's sense of excitement about the exploration of the universe became really infectious, and I think he showed that it was possible to be excited about your work and to still be an effective researcher and an effective communicator. 
Thank you, Catherine. Now I'm going to talk to Alia, who, as I said earlier, is the FT's tech correspondent. Alia, you met Stephen Hawking as an art student at Cambridge. What impact did he have on your intellectual life? Well, he was a real fixture of Gonville and Keyes College at Cambridge, where I studied and where he was a professor for more than 50 years. And I remember he came to our end-of-year ball in 2014, which was designed after a brief history of time, and you'd exchange words with him and he'd take pictures with students and he just seemed like many of the academics at the time, open and approachable and intelligent. But then, of course, because he was there, we would all read A Brief History of Time and ponder black holes and particle physics, even if we weren't physics students. And now, as technology correspondent, his importance has taken on a new significance. So I remember there was a big industry conference in Lisbon in November called the Web Summit, and he was video conferenced in for a keynote speech warning about the dangers of AI And loads of people stood up to applaud him. And kind of like Catherine said, I'm really struck by him being a man who could engage such a variety of people in science and technology, whether it was a 19-year-old art student or an enormous conference of regulators in the tech industry. You mentioned the college at Cambridge, Gonville and Keys. What did the college mean to him, do you think? How has the college paid tribute to him? I think the college really was his home. It's a tricky time at the university right now because academics have been striking for days about changes to their pension scheme. But the impression I get is the college has really rallied around his death. And I was speaking to them this morning and they've had so many tributes to Stephen Hawking from people who've identified the college as the place to pay tribute that they've had to expand their book of condolences into four books of condolences. And apparently they just have hundreds of people coming through and the flag is flying at half mast. I think he was one of the things that really gave the college its identity. And I think for him, it was a place that allowed him to do his research and became the base from which he could do many other things. And it's just sad to think that the next cohort of students who will stay in the Stephen Hawking building that he oversaw the construction of will never meet him like I did. Thank you, Elia. I want to ask a question of all of you, um, Clive, Catherine and Elia. What do you think his legacy will be? His legacy to scientists will be be bold and have fun, and that applies to all scientists. Write books, go on weightless aircrafts to experience zero gravity, and don't be afraid to be a public personality. His actual scientific work, sadly, was never recognized with a Nobel Prize because those prizes aren't given to theoretical physicists unless one of their predictions came true. And none of his predictions about black holes, although they're generally accepted, none of them was actually proved beyond reasonable doubt. I think his legacy for anyone with disability is probably as important as anything. If he can do so much with such a debilitating paralysis, so possibly can anyone with sufficient inspiration. Catherine, what's your view? I would agree with Clive's statements, be bold and have fun. I think in terms of his legacy to the public, I think that applies to them as well as to the scientists. You know, think about the edges of the universe. Think about the big ideas. 
you don't need to be a physicist with 10 years of training to think about this. We can all be bold and think about these big ideas. And I think have fun with science as well. I mean, obviously, in its professional setting, it is serious and thoughtful, but it can also be in a more everyday cultural setting. It can be fun. We can tell jokes about science. Some of his jokes were funnier than others, I think, in the science domain. But he was having fun with it, and he was showing other people that that's not disrespectful of scientists' work. And there's a quote that I think has probably been shared very widely. Apparently, he said, remember to look up at the stars, not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. And I think that's a pretty bold plea for the public, and I think that will be his legacy for them. Alia, do you have anything to add? Well, Clive and Catherine have really said it all, but I think, yeah, his legacy is not just about the research he did and what he uncovered, but also the kind of incredible optimism with which he approached science. And I think one of the legacies that will stay, I hope, with other academics is to try and explain your research um, give people your time, give the public your time and try and explain what you're doing. Thank you, Clive, Catherine and Alia. Let's leave our listeners with another quote that was chosen by his family after his death. It would not be much of a universe if it wasn't home to the people you love. Stephen Hawking leaves behind three grown-up children and a host of admirers across the world whose minds were opened up to the wonders of the cosmos thanks to his writing. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might be interested in the FT's Future of News conference in New York City on Thursday, March 22nd. Set against the backdrop of consolidation and polarization, the conference will debate the threats and opportunities facing both established institutions and new media. That's on the 22nd of March in New York City. For more information, visit live.ft.com forward slash future news. That's live.ft.com forward slash future news. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.